the best bitch. It's the second-rate show. Juggernaut of a podcast. Where we watch the fluff. And see if we like it. One, please. Hello, and welcome to the Best Bits second-rate show, where we flashback to a random week of release and give a second chance to a film that we didn't see the first time. This is your host, Will, and as always, I am joined by Kevin. Hello, Kevin. How are you? What you want? I just... I want you here with me, Kevin. That's all I want. That's Again, all I want. for another <laughs> yeah. one of these films, okay? <laughs> Fine. Hello, Will. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? <laughs> I am having a ball. <laughs> it's, the, it's the end of summer. We're closing in on the end of summer. And we are going through these uh, films that uh, we've never seen the first time. And it's an education. That's all I'd say. 13th of August. It's the it's the dead of summer, I would say. Yeah, 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 yeah. This week, we are going back in time. <gasps> Shit. And I got the spin of the wheel. And last time out, we were in 1984. And when we spun the wheel the last time, we got the next year, 1985. So we're going back to August 10th-ish, 1985. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that, Kevin? Uh... Yeah, uh, interesting year. I didn't know much about this year, but I looked into what was happening in the world in 1985, and I've got a few tidbits here to share with you. Oh, so Madonna was number one in the UK and Irish charts with Into the Groove. It was the summer of Live Aid. Live Aid was huge that summer and making loads of money for the uh, Ethiopian Ethiopian famine crisis. Care Bears were dominating and sort of sucking up all the oxygen from Disney. In the box office, you had a lot of re-releases. Uh, re-releases for Ghostbusters. E.T. had made 40 million. Oh, that was 82. Jesus, they re-released in 85. Wow. Yeah, made 40 million. Uh, Michael J. Fox was in his supremacy because Back to the Future was a monumental hit that year. At one stage, he held the number one and number two spots with Team Wolf. Oh, wow. Mm, yeah. In Ireland, they brought in the one drink driving law, which was announced on this date in 1985. What does that mean? You can you can only you can only drive with one drink in your hand. Is that what it is? You can't drive with two drinks. Was, yes, was the law. Okay. that was the law. You could have one pint as long as you had the other hand on the stick shift. <laughs> no mixers. No, no mixers. mixers. No, no chasers. <laughs> right. No. And Rock Hudson was dying of AIDS. Ah. That was uh, making the news. In the UK, you had the first heart-lung transplant was carried out in Middlesex. Uh, the patient was a three-year-old named Jamie Gavin. Wow. After just seven months and fewer than 17,000 units, he pulled through. And about a week from this date in 1985, a massive air disaster was going to take place in Manchester. Where 55 people were going to be killed when British Air Tours Boeing 737 Burst into flames after takeoff. Wow. So it was a tumultuous year. I was looking through the Irish Times front page and it was fascinating to see that a lot of the headlines were like talking about the Anglo-Irish talks and about what could be brokered. Meanwhile, there was like stories in the, the sidebar of like bombs going off on trains in the UK and stuff. So it was a, it was a crazy time in Irish history. But yeah. yeah. You were probably too young for Live Aid. You're probably too young to remember it, I'd imagine. Uh, yeah, I have no memory of Live Aid. I, I can remember it being on the television and knowing it was something really significant because 
it bro- it would dominate the broadcast for today, but also been really pissed off with it because I wanted to watch my programs. I wanted to watch my stories and this music <laughs> stuff was on and I was just not having it. It was just like, where's my, where's, I don't remember what I was watching, but I remember wondering where my thing was. It could have been Who's the Boss or Cagney and Lacey because they were the big <laughs> TV big, shows at the time. Big Cagney and Lacey fan <laughs> back when I was six. Yeah. No, the, <laughs> oh the children's TV was Inspector Gadget and the Bugs Bunny show and the Chipmunks. So, oh yeah. my God, I ate all that up. Do you want to know what was uh, in the top 10 of the bo- US box office of that week, Kevin? Hit me! In number 10 spot was Cocoon. In number 9 spot was Real Genius with Val Kilmer. I remember that and enjoyed that film. In number 8 was Fright Night. I enjoyed that too. In mm. number 7, National Lampoon's European Vacation. Ooh, mm-hmm. yeah, ooh la la. Seen them all so far. Same. In number 6, Rental Summer, which I don't know what that is. No, never heard of that. Yeah. In number five, Year of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. In fourth place, The Return of the Living Dead. Wow. In third place, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And I'm skipping seconds because in number one spot was Back to the Future, which everyone and his mother, sister, brother, uncle, and cat have seen. Mm-hmm. But the film we're picking tonight... Is it the one that's in the title of the episode? It's the one that's in the title of the episode. It is 1985's Volunteers, which both of us hadn't seen. I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of what in the heck Volunteers is, Kevin. I would say you probably might want to play the trailer. You know what I'm going to do before that? You know what I'm going to do right now? Why not play the trailer? Responsibility today to live in our own world and to identify the needs. Oh, good. Just helping get to the ground. Down the floor. I need $28,000 to pay off a gambling debt or else I'm a dead man. You've been a constant source of embarrassment, irritation, ever since your mother and I brought you home that day from the orphanage. Orphanage? Father, I am not adopted. I am your son. I know, I know, I know, but please allow me that little fantasy. I need the money. No. I'd rather take a place on this plane. You see, some very dangerous and, and primitive people are after me. I'll kill you, you oh, can't. This is the Peace Corps. I'm traveling halfway around the world to help a bunch of half-starved, oppressed human beings. So this is hell. Don't turn it back now, huh? <laughs> Tom Tuttle, Tacoma, Washington. You mean you've just been trying to go to bed with me? Well, I think I put in the hours, don't you? It's not that I, I, I can't help these people. It's just that I don't want to. Bridge! Bridge! Build! Bridge! 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 Good! All right! This is good. Why do you guys think you can come here and turn everything upside down? Blackjack is the game. Play <laughs> Opium is my business. The bridge mean more traffic. More traffic mean more business. More business mean more money. More money mean more power. Do you know where you are? My guess is I'm in the clutches of the angry pink menace. You will be brainwashed. Me? America's son? Ha! That will be a challenge. You bet. We must always be on our guard. Sure, we'll lose a lot of snooze time, but that's okay. We'll catch up after the revolution's over. That's enough, Tom. You can't be part of this if you're doing it for yourself. What have you learned, Dorothy? 
Well, Volunteers is a comedy written by David Isaacs and Kevin, Le- Kevin Levine. It's written by Ken Levine, because Ken Levine is somebody that I used to follow for a long, long time on Blogspot. He had a very popular blog because he was a sitcom writer. He wrote on Cheers and he wrote on Frasier. So as soon as his name came up, I was like, oh, it's your man that did the blog, Ken Levine. And David Isaacs was his writing partner through all those sitcom years as well. He, he, The two of them have been involved in a huge amount of projects. It's The Simpsons and all that sort of stuff. Rich. I would imagine. Incredibly rich. Incredibly rich. Yeah. It was also directed by Nicholas Meyer, who mm-hmm. did Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan and Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country, mm-hmm. which are two of the best uh, original cast Star Trek movies, I would argue. It stars Tom Hanks... John Candy and future Mrs. Tom Hanks, Rita Wilson. So the basic plot of this film is it's set in 1962. It's uh, we have Tom Hanks plays Lawrence Bourne III, who is a spoiled rich kid and is just graduating Yale with a gambling debt of $28,000. After his father, Lawrence Bourne Jr., played by George, George Plimpton, refuses to pay his debt, He escapes his angry creditors by trading places with his college roommate, jumping on a Peace Corps flight to Thailand. And on the plane, he meets Tom Tuttle from Tacoma, played by John Candy, and the beautiful down-to-earth Beth Wexler, played by Rita Wilson. Once they are embedded in a remote village in Thailand, they are tasked with building a bridge across a vast river. Lawrence befriends a local who speaks English. His name is At Toon. But they soon discover that the CIA... The communists and a drug lord are eyeing up the bridge for their own gains. So that's the general gist of the plot. Can I translate that for our Cork listeners? Go on. (laughs) So Tom Hanks is a pure ball hopper and he's tricky like (laughs) and he dodges on a debt and he's loaded like his old man but he's been robbing the conjun box and his old man (laughs) won't give him the steam off his piss. So when (laughs) these bowsers show up to dance on his head Hanks legs it and bums a flight to Thailand and sure he's on the airplane sat beside this headbanger John Candy and it's then when he twigs that he's joined the Peace Corps and Hanks no thought that he was going to be bamming out on the beach in Bangkok and feeking bures and so like he's out there dossing around eating like douchey and the Thai shades call him up dig the head off him and tell him that they'll front him up and down Pana unless he bangs out an unreal pure decent bridge like and he's like, no bother, <laughs> no bother by, me old Bjorn will shift the face off me for that. And that's the film. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. You should do those audio descriptions that they, they, they have in, you know, um, in, in screenings for people with uh, visual impairment. That would be incredible, Kevin. And here comes <laughs> the Tom Hanks. He's going over the bridge now when he's... <laughs> That's my kind of limerick. My, yeah. my limerick Kevin, uh, very good. What, what what were you... First of all, I want to get your expectations for this film. What, what did you... When I when you learned that it was Tom Hanks, John Candy, directed by Nicholas Meyer, uh, what did you expect this film to be? I didn't know any of those things until I hit play. So okay. I go in so blind that the opening credits just reveal what I need to know. And I'll tell you what, I love the opening credits of this film. Mm-hmm. I miss opening credits in general when it comes to movies. I'm sort of getting a little tired of every film just starting in, in media res and having to play catch up. Yeah. 
uh, I do miss sort of the long leading with a, with a good song. And this one has a sort of um, a historical context. And I think that orientated me a little slower than most because I didn't realize that this was set in the 60s until, you know, a good half an hour into it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. No, because- I no idea. And then, of course, it made sense to me because it's all 60s, you know, newsreel stuff that, that opens the film. Right. Um, my expectations for it, I had no idea what to expect. I, I knew that if I didn't know of this film and it starred John Candy and Tom Hanks, I thought this is going to be pretty poor because it would have had a, a bigger footprint than it had. Uh, I'd never heard of this film before until you mentioned it. It's a film that sort of shows off that era of Tom Hanks where he was playing a lot of cads and he perfects it in some other 80s comedies. But in this one, it took a while for me to warm up to him. So mm-hmm. my expectations, anything goes with this mini series of, of podcasts. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. What about you? Why did you pick this film? Why I picked this film was because I got that weekend and I just scrolled down to the list and I saw the title Volunteers, clicked on it <laughs> and saw that it was a film starring Tom Hanks and John Candy and Rita Wilson that I'd never, I'd never heard of. And I saw the poster and it was... Isn't that strange? It was one of those Drew Struzan posters. And it's actually, it's a beautiful poster of the three of them locked arm in arm, marching up the side of a, a grassy hill with this beautiful bridge, you know, stretched across uh, the, the river behind them. And I went, oh, I want to see this. I really want to see what this is. But I kind of had the same opinion as you where I went, if I haven't heard of this... Yeah. It's never been on my radar, then something's up. That's usually that usually happens if the film is very American specific. If it's sort of like um I don't know, like a softball league or something. Those films okay. don't tend to travel. Yeah. Uh but this one it, it's it's international facing. You know, it's a, it's about the Peace Corps. And you know, Tom Hanks and John Candy, I think they'd done splash prior to this. It was yeah, the year beforehand they did splash. And Tom Hanks was, he. that was a huge hit, a huge hit. So Tom got hired, he got a, a load of job offers. And he had two films out this summer. He'd actually, the, the Man with the Red Shoe, I think that's the name of it. Yeah. That was a complete flop for him. This one did a little bit better. It made 20 million. But I'd say, couldn't find out the budget of this, but the budget was definitely over 10 million. So I don't know, I think it might have broke even. So having, yeah, so having those two guys in this film after Splash, you'd think that it would have been it would have had a bigger cultural footprint. Well, apparently, you know, a lot of Americans saw it a lot because it was on HBO constantly over there. It was one of those films that was on HBO back in the in the 80s. It's a spoof, I take it. Is it a spoof? That's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. It's, it's this strange hybrid where it has spoof elements because... You bring that up. There was two specific moments in the film where he went, oh, that's a spoof joke. There was one moment where he was escaping his debtors and they were dry, they were chasing each other by map where their two lines were going across the map. And when the, the, they came to the airport, Tom Hanks's car drove through an actual physical map. And I went, oh, that's a kind of funny visual gag. Uh-huh. And then the second spoof moment was when Tom Hanks was being this 
bodyguards, this female bodyguard who's like a kind of a sidekick which killer nails is about to kill Tom Hanks. She speaks, when she speaks they have uh, subtitles and uh, Tom Hanks and his sidekick at Toon can't understand her and they look at the the subtitles on the screen and know what she's saying and those are the two overt spoof gags. Yeah. Which is a joke from Loaded Weapon. Um, yeah, when the when the the guy who they've swindled out of money is chasing them and he jumps onto the front of the plane and he clings to it and the oh, yeah. traffic controller is like saying, "We got a guy on the plane and he falls off." And it's like, "No, it's fine." I thought, "Yeah, this is a spoof." And you know, after watching the film, I did a little bit of googling to make sure that it's the same Ken Levine, and I found a blog post from him. Mm-hmm. He talks about the movie, and he did say that. The film had been in development since the 80s, the early 80s. Yeah. And it was not a comedy. And at the last minute, they did another draft on spec. And on spec means that they just wrote it without being paid. It was a speculative draft. They decided to chuck in like a load of comedy. And yeah, I think it feels like that. It feels like like a first draft, even though this was probably the last draft it did. That makes so much sense when you when you when you say that it was drastically changed at the the very last minute, because it feels neither here nor there. It feels like it is. It it could have been a serious film in one way, because you have the element of these young, uh, this kind of trio of young Americans going over to a foreign land and then having to integrate into the community and do something to benefit the community, but having these external forces. And you could say, oh, that could be a straight, you know, a, a straight narrative in its own right. But some of the scenes, it just feels, it just feels out of balance. It feels out of whack between the comedy and the drama. There's a there's a line that is said at the end where it, it sort of brings into focus the arc of Tom Hanks' character and it's what Rita Wilson says to him. And I thought that's a good line and it's a line for a different film. It It works in the context of the story, but they didn't do enough to service where they take it. I mean, it really is a riff on The Bridge Over River Kwai. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a moment where John Candy even whistles the, the theme tune from The Bridge Over River Kwai. Um, but that line, I don't know if I should tell you what that line is, but it's... Do say the line. Yeah, yeah, go on. I know you think the right thing can be done for the wrong reason, but for me, motives are important. You can't be part of this if you're doing it for yourself. And that's the moment where Tom Hanks is deciding to do something. He's a very selfish character. And at this mm-hmm. moment, she's confronting him and he's going to be selfless and do something for other people for the first time in his life. And that's a nice line. And that's a nice sort of uh, arc for a character. But I will say that I was struggling with his character in this movie because he is just a dislikable, selfish cad. And mm-hmm. his wit and his charm is just coming off really smarmy and clingy and very early 80s. And they do a thing in early 80s films where they present you with two terrible choices, which is like you can root for the smarmy melt which is Tom Hanks or you can root for his rival which is a psychotic creep and that's how they sort of get you to like the Tom Hanks character and that for me just doesn't work because you know I want the characters in a story to achieve something and for me to to if I if I don't if I don't relate to them if I don't root for them then I need to be able to relate to them as fascinating human beings and in a movie like this where it's it's juvenile comedy 
if it's not funny, then it's just not working. Mm-hmm. And so I I was like watching this as more of a an oddity and was thinking, oh, so that's what Tom Hanks did in the summer of nineteen eighty four. The winter, this, the winter, yeah, of the winter, yeah. They shot it the previous winter. Uh, yeah, I'm in Mexico. Well, I found, uh, yeah, I, I read Mexico, but then I read that, oh, they shot it in Venezuela and they actually shot some in Thailand as well. So maybe they did some second units out uh, It doesn't look well. like Mexico. It, it look, doesn't look like, it did yeah. look like it was in the jungle and uh, and such. Uh, yeah, I'm in the same boat as yeah, because I, first of all, I found Tom Hanks's accent to be a bit of a hurdle. He puts on this, he puts on a, a, a very waspish kind of like almost like a JFK type accent which he you know he said that he based the accent on he's the guy who plays his father in the film George Plimpton and he mimicked him and I thought that was a big hurdle when listening to Tom Hanks speak he just had this very affected way of speaking and I just didn't like listening to him the minute that he started speaking I googled to see did he do the voice of the brain gremlin in gremlins too oh yeah because you know he has a long-standing friendship with Joe Dante. And uh, it sounds very much like that, but no, that was Tony Randall. Oh. Um, but if you haven't seen the film and you're trying to figure out, well, what does he sound like? Yeah, he sounds very hoity-toity and affected, but it's it's not a, a very um, convincing accent. And I had a thought as well watching the film. I, my, Why am the, I watching this? Why, well, <laughs> no, well, no, I was watching it. I was I was quite curious watching the film. I was, I was there were th- aspects about it I, d- I did enjoy I do feel I've said this before in another thing, but I think I think they might have been a you could have, they could have done better casting. Not, but I I think someone like a Chevy Chase or a Bill Murray might have brought more to the role or suited the character more than Tom Hanks did, and could have brought more to actual specific scenes, and maybe to lift up the comedy just by the way they are physically on camera at times. But I still don't think it saves the film from not being funny enough in its scenes because quite often in scenes they will have one visual gag where it might even be a first the first visual gag in a movie but then sorry in the scene but then the scene kind of trails off without any other kind of supporting jokes and as a result the comedy just kind of falls flat and kind of just lays there it gets kind of better towards the end when Tom Hanks is basically strong-armed into building this bridge so that the local drug dealers who are um, in charge, I think they're, they're either the, the local government or what have you, mm-hmm. they want to build this bridge so that they can have a, a, a quicker supply of drugs. And when the CIA guy is revealed, he's like masquerading as a Peace Corps supervisor or whatever you'd call those guys. Mm-hmm. When he's revealed to be a CIA guy, he goes full psychotic, you know, creep. And he kidnaps Rita Wilson's character and Tom Hanks reluctantly goes on a rescue mission to get her back with the sidekick character who is my favorite character in the movie. I looked up that actor, Geddes Wantanabe. I looked up his career to see what he'd done and he's had a long, long TV career. He's kind of like a grown-up version of Short Round and their sort of escapades to rescue her, it sort of lifts up and it becomes a little bit like a a cheapy version of uh, Romancing the Stone. But the prior two acts are knockabout comedy with a lot of tired sitcom kind of gags and Tom Hanks not in his comfort zone and John Candy not being able to sort of sell this neurotic, busybody type of character mm-hmm. in a way where they're so eccentric, they're 
adorable or, or lovable. Like John Candy's played a similar type of guy in planes, trains, and automobiles. But in this, he's just kind of like um, unfunny. And I don't think he's able to make anything out of the scenes or the character that he's been lumbered with. And His character did contribute to one of the funniest moments in the film for me because he's this kind of completely nationalistic, completely... Uh, you know, adoring of the American flag and will die for the American flag. He gets kidnapped by the communists, and which I enjoy. He's vanished for ages. And when we find him, he's been tied to a stake and the communists are kind of saying, he's singing like this, I can't remember, some sort of like, you know, Yale song or whatever it was. And they, and the communists are like going, uh, we'll, we'll brainwash him. And they tell John Kenny, we're itsy bitsy teeny yellow pocket. And what happens is he's, you're not, you're, he says, you're not going to brainwash me. And they do a hard cut to literally him wearing the communist cap and wearing the jacket. And he's like, we must, we must kill the imperial dogs and he's completely transformed and brainwashed into becoming a communist and I actually thought that was one of my favourite turns in the film. I love John Candy and for some reason he just didn't work for me in this. Nobody worked for me except for Geddes. I thought he was fun. He he had one of the funniest uh, little uh, quirks in the film where he calls Tom Hanks' character asshole. There's a moment (laughs) where Tom Hanks is floating down a river and he's not looking too good for him. And you just hear a tune from the bank going, asshole, asshole. (laughs) I I did laugh out loud when he was was going asshole and dickhead and whatnot. Kevin, did you catch the egregious product placement scene in this film? Yeah, and I know that they got a lot of shit for that. There's a moment where uh, Rita Wilson is offered a, a can of Coke. She starts doing a, a kind of a commercial for Coke, how great it is and how wonderful it is. And that didn't go down well with American critics, even though from what I read on Ken Levine's blog, that was always in the script and it was never flagged up at any stage. Uh, even when it was in a development at MGM before it got picked up by TriStar. And they put the script, MGM put it into turnaround and then TriStar took it on board and TriStar had a connection with Coca-Cola. Uh, but yeah, it didn't bother me. I just thought the whole movie was sort of an odd comedy. So it just felt like another odd joke that wasn't landing. It was, I, I honestly felt it was one of those incredibly egregious product. It felt like an egregious product placement because I think Tom Hanks is even going, what do you want? It felt like a Bond film. Cherry. Yeah, a Bond film when uh, they would be advertising watches. What do you want? Vanilla? Cherry? Whatever it is. Even the way it's shot, you could have just you could have just lifted that scene and just played that as an advert on TV. That just that little one scene and the way she melts over the prospect of having a, having a Coke. I think Kevin, Kevin Ken Levine said he would have uh, he would have had a, a lot less hassle if he just replaced coke with heroin, offering her weed or something like that, and you would just everything would have been a lot easier. But um, yeah, I um, I genuinely thought I was like I, I was taken out of the film at that moment when Jesus did did coke, was coke behind us in any way? And sure enough, yeah, there was a coke in connection to the movie. So were you ever in the film? Was I ever in the film? In take his- you were taken out of the film, so I'm just oh, wondering. Oh, was I ever engaged in, in the, the film. film? Yeah, I was kind of similar to you, Kevin, where I found myself wanting to like this film. I wanted to uh, enjoy it, particularly because it's got Tom Hanks and he's so great. But I was in a similar position, position where I never, for a second, 
you know, got on board with his character, his depiction of the character, I really didn't find the humor didn't come across at at any stage. Really, I I, I found it to be long enough. It's long. It, it's an hour and forty odd minutes. It's the longest one we've done so far. Yeah, they had like. They had three external forces in the plot. Like they had this, the communists, as we already described, they had the the drug lord and they had the CIA who all wants this bridge. And I just think, I just thought like, that's, you, you don't need that many external forces looking for this thing. It just made me want to watch the bridge on River Kwai. Yeah, yeah. Actually, even John Candy's last final words before he blows up the bridge is the exact same words as um, uh, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi says in Bridge to River Kwai. (laughs) Alec Guinness will. Oh no, his real name is Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) Ben Kenobi. Um, And also I was wondering, did it look like the jungle? Was that the jungle? You've been in the jungle, haven't you? No, I've never been in a jungle. Oh, I thought you were in a jungle. I've been in a rainforest. I've never been in a jungle. Oh, okay. But they were okay in Thailand. <laughs> where do you think I went backpacking? The Amazon? <laughs> well, rain, I don't know where you... You said you were in a rainforest. Well, I've been in a rainforest here up in Donegal as well. And but, you um, call them jungles. The no. jungles of Donegal. <laughs> well, what would you call... Well, what would you call where they are? Is it a rainforest where they're living? This Thai... Thailand? Yeah, but is, it a, is that a rainfor- rainforest? Uh, it looked like it, just a river side. It didn't oh. look... <laughs> The whole movie like, looks like it takes place in like, you know, a, an acre of land. Um, I want to I give you a great quote from Nicholas Meyer, right, about the elephants. Because he wanted, they, they had to get elephants in to create authenticity, right? Nicholas Meyer said uh, he wanted two elephants to appear in the, in, in the film. Because on the grounds that two elephants look like Thailand, while one elephant makes it look like you can't afford two elephants. <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> if you have two elephants, I found that it looks a very... Like Strange film for him to follow up Star Trek Wrath of Khan with. Might go from uh, a, a great action adventure story to a, 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 an odd spoof. Did this affect his career? Like he, he didn't make that many feature films, Nic- um, Nicholas Meyer. He, I think his most successful films were Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan and Star Trek. Undiscovered, yeah. Wrath of Khan is really well directed. This felt, it looked underlit. That could be uh, an after effect of it not being um, given the love that it needed for its transfers, DVD and Blu-ray down the, down the years. But the film looked quite underlit. And I kept looking at scenes and thinking, why has he placed a camera there? It just looks so sort mm-hmm. of like student movie-ish where you're covering it like a, like a TV sitcom stage. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel very cinematic. Comedy is timing. And there was a lot of sort of static shots. And I just thought, you're not really getting the rat-a-tat-tat rhythm here. That was exactly it. There was no, yeah, there was there were too many wide shots and, and just scenes just kind of hung around. They just hung yeah. around. Did you notice any uh, sparks between Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks seeing as this is the moment, this is the movie where they fell in love? I look. I I, I can't no. say that, that there, I just saw sparks, but I'm just glad to know that this was the film that kind of re- rekindled their romance, or that this is the film that's. Started oh really? Their Were they rom- together before? They well, they'd met when Tom Hanks was doing a sitcom. They she guest starred in in, a, in in one of the episodes so they but they were in relationships at the time and so when they met on this they were single and this is what 
you know, they got together on this and three years later they were married. So, um, yeah, that's a nice, I think that's a nice aspect of the, of this thing. Did you know anything, do you know that the Peace Corps, did you know anything about the Peace Corps before this actually, Kevin? No, I didn't really. I didn't really. Yeah, well, it was started by JFK. Well, one of the founders was JFK and what's his name? Mr. Shriver, you know, Maria Shriver, um, Aaron Schwarzenegger's wife, his, her dad, uh, ex-wife, her dad. And, um, when the script came to uh, Mr. Shriver, I can't remember his first name, he absolutely, he had loads of notes, basically. Clive. He wants, yeah, Clive wanted this. He, Clive Shriver. <laughs> he wanted the Peace Corps name taken out of it. He said it was an absolute desecration of everything that the, the Peace Corps stood for. And you know, I don't know anything about the Peace Corps, but he's right. Was there anything about this film that you enjoyed, Kevin? Aside from, you know, its ending. Um, I liked that I don't have to watch it again. I, that's, that's, that's an invalid answer. That's an invalid answer. I want, I want a genuine answer of some, I like Geddes Wantanabe and I am kind of turning my nose up at Hollywood for having a, the most charming, quick-witted, funny, charismatic actor in the film. And he is playing against Tom Hanks, A-lister, the most beloved actor of his generation and uh, John Candy, one of the most memorable comedic actors who dominated the 80s. He's playing opposite both those guys and he's stealing every scene. And he just wasn't a name actor to me. And he should have been. He should have been. A, a, he should have had his own franchise. He should have had his own leading man roles. He shouldn't have been, you know, consigned to being a sidekick for the rest of his career or a bit part actor. So I watched this and thought, that guy is great. Why have I not seen that guy in 50 other movies where he's the lead? And that bothered me. So I'm glad that I got exposed to Geddes Wantanabe, but he's a wonderful actor and he should have done more. And he got, anytime I reacted positively with the film, it was because he did something or said something. Yeah, yeah, he was great. And also one of the big kind of negative marks of this film for me was there there was a lot of icky racial humor in this as well and yeah. I know it's of its of its time as well you can kind of say that but there's there's times when they will throw it a go so you felt guilty while you were laughing this is the thing maybe back in the 1980s six year old me cut that cut that <laughs> but maybe the six year old me back in the 1980s might have went oh that's a funny joke and maybe that's a part of why the film doesn't play well now as well, because so many of those gags are kind of like broad racial racial gags as well. Yeah, comedy can be quite distancing because, uh, yeah, it doesn't tend to... Com- comedy tends to comment on where we are at that time and poke fun. And uh, when we move past that, when you look back, it's, it's it can be quite odd to see what we laughed at and what we thought was funny. So... Yeah, any any that feels bullying or mean spirited, I think um, it doesn't really work anymore. And again, Tom Hanks's character in this—if he had been a selfish asshole who was fronting, who was putting on a facade in order to get the approval of his dad, or that he was quite um, soft-hearted and he, he he needed to put on a, a tough exterior because he has a reputation to upkeep. If we had gotten any insight into that, then it would have allowed me to go on a journey with him where I'm seeing somebody slowly have their persona dismantled and and I would have been rooting for him 
to have a, a sort of an epiphany where he realizes that if he wants to get the girl, he needs to be his authentic self. And that is not anywhere in the story. He's just a smarmy, rich cad, a womanizer who has never worked a day in his life and is swindling people out of money. And they're black people and they're minorities. And all of these little things peppered over this character just make him really unlikable. And they're throwing all this wit at him and all these sort of like jocular one-liners, but it's just making me dislike him even more. So, there was a moment uh, towards the end of the film where I think I think the film the the, the writers and and the filmmakers were were consciously aware that Tom Hanks wasn't going to have an arc because there was a moment where he should have a kind of a where Tom Hanks's character seems like he should have a you know a realization of the soul and uh, and at tune comes in and says oh what did we learn Dorothy as in like what's this is the moment where yeah I didn't like that I, I didn't, didn't like, like it either yeah because I thought we just had a moment of sincerity where the movie had told us that for Rita Wilson's character motives matter and he needs to do it because he wants to do it for someone mm-hmm. else other than himself and I thought that's that's what I was talking about earlier on being a good moment and then they undercut it immediately with a moment where they're commenting on the fact that this is a character act. Mm-hmm. And I thought, mm, okay. If you guys are being ironic and you don't care, then why should I? And even how the, the very last scene of the film, and this is like full spoilers because, you know, this is what we're doing in this, is that we see where, where does Tom end up at the end of this film. All he wanted to do from when he got away was he just wanted to pay off his gambling debt and just get back home as quickly as possible and just be in the in the lap of living the life of lap of luxury but when he finally discovers that when he finally basically conquers this world and kind of becomes king of the world and you know defeats all the bad guys around him what does he do when he's embedded in that village is he basically opens a casino and gambling joint and it's you're going to be Lawrence's place and he's now going to exploit the natives you know isn't it charming isn't that so funny yeah <laughs> such a lovely colonialist going to bring his nefarious ways and he hasn't changed by the end of the film we see that he's just instead of being someone who is uh, has uh, gambling is his problem and is his addiction instead by the end of the film he's embraced it he's become the king gambler of this whole country it's uh, it's not a nice arc this is why we focus on what we love on the podcast i care about movies and i care about them being the best that they can be. And I know how difficult it is to make a movie. And when I feel like people just have gone in all wrong-headed and they're kind of pissing about and they're putting out this shoddy product, I don't really get a kick out of it. Mm-hmm. I need to sort of feel like that somebody here cared and that it was a misfire, but there was something to root for. And this story just bugged me. But hold on. Why... I enjoy, sometimes I enjoy watching films that aren't great, is that it's interesting to actually see, to actually work out why doesn't this work? And I think from knowing that this film wasn't a comedy throughout the majority of its development, that it was only turned into into a comedy at the last minute, makes a whole lot of sense. It's like when a guy crashes a car into a lady pushing a pram, and then you learn that they were drunk and you're like, oh, that makes sense. Hey, 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 we f- I forgot to mention. Who did the music for this? Did you did you notice? I heard uh, the familiar twangs of James Horner. Am I right? And you'd be right. You'd be absolutely right. Definitely towards the second half of the film, you can, you can hear those James Horner orchestral 
big swelling sounds when things get dramatic and stuff like that. And it doesn't save the movie. Doesn't no, it doesn't. But it was actually, that was one of the things that went, ah, James Horror sounds. I hope everyone got paid really well. I'm sure they did. Yeah. I actually, hey, I found, because I was trying to do research on this, and this is, this is, it just goes to tell the footprint this film has because there really weren't any special features, any commentaries, very little written this about this good. film. Our podcast now will be out there for all time <laughs> as a, a monument to this film. I found an interview that Tom Hanks did back in the 80s promoting this. Did he say I'm sorry in it? He didn't say it because it was, he was promoting Is Kevin. But it was a very 80s interview where the lady who was interviewing him was basically, oh, Tom, you're a superstar now. What do you do with all your money? And it was the f- most direct, awkward question to ask a Hollywood star. And he, went, he was just didn't know how to answer. He just went, what do you mean? What do I do with all the money? Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Hookers and blow, baby. <laughs> But he was lining, but but it gave me a snapshot of where Tom Hanks was at the time because he was he talked about all the projects he had coming out coming out. So it was before, like well before he had a Jackie Gleason movie coming out, nothing in common. He was the man with the one red shoe, which was also a flop that summer. That was a big flop from that summer. He had this. Oh, the following year, Tom Hanks was in this film called Every Time We Say Goodbye, right? And it was a huge flop. Uh, it was a massive flop. So he look, Tom Hanks look was a bankable enough star because he, you know, from the mid eighties on, he had he he had big and everything he made was 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 glorious. And from the nineties, he was one of the big stars in the world. But in the eighties, if he didn't have big, things could have taken a different turn for Tom Hanks. That's all. That's all I'll say. This wouldn't have helped him. This film did not. Help he would have probably been a TV actor. Probably, yeah, 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 probably. Yeah, and we never would have gotten to see Hooch dying. Turn around, Hooch. (laughs) Oh god! The dog probably killed himself. I think that's what happened in that movie. (laughs) What a weird ending to a film, Turner Hooch. This really that whole movie is weird because (sighs) it's a kids' film, but he's dealing with violent drug ganglord criminals. Yeah, it's like uh, and there's a lot of murder in that film. I can still see in my mind's eye the squib going off on Hooch's chest when Hooch gets shot. Like, they show us the dog, the bullet penetrating the jog dog's torso. That wasn't the squib. <laughs> they put him down on camera. Rubber bullets. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's movies, maybe. It's movies. Oh, man. Do I recommend anyone, people out there watching this film? Not really. If you're curious, you'll see enough if you look at the trailer on YouTube. And You've got Netflix. Put on Netflix. There's, there's a Just, load of stuff on Netflix. But I, as a completionist exercise, I kind of liked having watched this film. It's John Candy. And I'm so glad that they, Rita Wilson and Tom Handy. This film, Will, didn't like you back. No, it was a one way. This definitely was a one way. Oh, no, I, I'm not saying I liked this film. I thought it was, eh, it kind of, I'm glad I watched it. I'm not recommending it. Was, it. it was grand. It was grand. It was grand. It, was it wasn't, grand. it wasn't totally offensive. Okay. No, it wasn't. So I think we should wrap it up there, unless you've got anything else to say add to this conversation, Kevin. Tom Hanks, he is America's favourite movie star. And I don't <laughs> think that America has watched all of his movies. <laughs> Here, do you want to know what Variety said about the film at the time? Variety said... Two thumbs up. Volunteers is a very broad and mostly flat comedy. 
top line, the top line Tom Hanks gets a few good zingers. This is a time when they said zingers as an upper class snob doing time in Thailand, but promising the promising premise and opening shortly descend into an unduly protracted tedium. I think that's fair enough. Tedium is a great word for this. Yeah, it's a very yeah. tedious film. The New York Times praised Nicholas Meyer for his for his, for his steady directorial hand. Ah, he knew them. He must have known the critic. And the stylish, droll performance of Tom Hanks, about whom Goodman, they added, he is a centre of confidence amid the frantic goings-on, turning peril into opportunity with an accent and a blom that are the birthright of an eighth-generation born. A blom? What's a blom? A plum. I'm saying a plum. What did I say? A blom? I turned my pee upside down. I have uh, (laughs) vertical dyslexia. Okay. I think we've covered volunteers. I'm not recommending it. So when it comes to whether we think you should revisit it or skip it, we're saying it's it's up to you. You, you do <laughs> what you want to do. We can't save you from yourself. We have to you give have some to sort want, of suggestion. You have That's to want to save yourself. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like coming, it's like coming to the end of a review, right? You're giving a review and it says, right, oh, how many stars are you going to give it? Uh, whatever you think yourself. <laughs> That's effectively what you, whatever you think yourself. <laughs> it's not that it's atrociously bad. It's just no. really boring and tedium. Just, yeah, and just wrong-headed. Yeah, and I just didn't like the social politics and and rich smarmy pricks going over to poor countries and taking advantage of an indigenous population. Uh, I just don't think is a good basis for a comedy when there's nothing underneath the character to give them any sort of humanity at all. It's just, isn't this guy a dickhead? Don't you love dickheads? There you go. Laugh it up, you dickheads. Look how much of a dickhead he could be in the jungle to people yes. who... Uh, in the rainforest. Yeah. Or the, or, the, or the side of a riverbank. Yeah. <laughs> in Mexico. <laughs> Hey, so I think we'll uh, we, we should wrap spin it the there. wheel, spin the wheel. I hope that you are going to pick a cracker because oh my god, you have given me such a hard time on this one for picking this one. <laughs> it's your own fault, right? It's done. Okay, Kevin, your year. We're staying in the eighties, man. It's nineteen eighty-eight. Okay, nineteen eighty-eight. I don't know anything about nineteen eighty-eight. Uh, I was running truant around the streets of Cork, blowing in windows and uh, <laughs> robbing <laughs> granny's purses and having a ball. Um, okay, 1988, I'll pick something that isn't offensive. Okay, excellent. It's right, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to not being offended, Kevin. That's, okay. the, that's all I'm asking from you. Good. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. And... If you like this episode, oh God, I'm not going to ask you to rate and review us based on <laughs> this, this is the episode. Summer show. This is the summer show. This is uh, this is us being on our summer holidays. We have we are we have got the sun cream on. We're relaxed. This is not. Uh, I'm sunburned. That's why I'm cranky. <laughs> on Patreon, I'm much nicer. Okay, we'll see you yeah. next episode. Rate and review us, and uh, you can join us on Patreon for more stuff. All right. Good luck, everyone. Bye. That was the end of the best bits. 
Best Bits podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. If you have any notes, comments, scene suggestions, or just want to get in touch with us, email us at bestbitspodcast at gmail.com. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. The best bits with Will and Kevin. No, the best bits with Kevin and Willem. With the films and the, with the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. something. Um, don't forget that you owe us three euro. Okay. <laughs> you can't really throw what? <laughs> oh my God. I, I did a whole Irish theme. The best bits with Kevin and Willem. Talking TV and the latest Okay, right. I'm gonna find the fucking thing because it's gonna be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing and think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it. That'll do. Because it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So yeah. I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh at emoji when I've actually listened. <laughs> I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like, nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought, they hadn't listened to it yet. And then, yeah. of course, I was delighted with that, and people hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it, was, it, was, it wasn't easy on the ears in, a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice, so there was no up and down. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried my best. You're a bug and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm, I'm, I'm Hogus and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer. The number one zero one zero zero one one producer. Yeah, that's exactly what did you do. So. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. I'm not, I've not, I've, I've not heard this. I swear to God. I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm, I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kevin Willem. About the telly and the latest film. Talking shy, they're the dynamic duo. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage, old dad. <laughs> That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could have happened. How do you operate? I, 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 I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet. And does, I do, that doesn't necessarily mean or I need to be in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man, I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, <laughs> I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about. Should I start the timer? Have we just started? Start the timer because I'm rare to go. I saw Madam Webb. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All I all I know is I saw a poster of, very recently. It went, there's a Madam Web film, and I'm what is this? So it's a Spider Verse adjacent Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter, okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of 
the Spider-Man movies, but I don't right. know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together. So is this the Tobey Maguire Spider-Verse? To me, it feels like it's in that space. Mm. Anyway, I thought I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago and I thought it was just tedious. It's so lifeless. The Marvels, not Captain Marvel. Is that what Marvel's, well, yeah. she's in it, Captain Marvel. Captain yeah. Marvel 2. It was just sort of like, it was another one of those films that felt like Ant-Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and Mm -hmm. airless. And, you know, you just have sound stage after sound stage. And I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films. I feel like there's nothing organic happening in these. From the lines of dialogue to the hairstyles to the costumes to the sets to the music to everything just feels It's artificial wafer thin just wafery artificially no sustenance no satisfaction you no protein in it whatsoever you feel like oh wow I just I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry It feels like eating plastic Okay On the whole it's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them Yet I found The Flash really fun because it was, it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times. It was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects. Whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of The Flash. I just thought, you know, it's mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went to the Madame Web not really giving a fuck about the genre but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it and the trailer was awful it had that terrible line reading in it from Dakota Johnson where she's she's shitting out exposition and I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage and uh, the film itself to me played like a Final Destination action thriller and I thought it was really pleasant it didn't bother me in the slightest I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has it was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them and they just played that out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man it looked as good as that it was all real locations for me it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films and I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire, but... Dave almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> oh, I have to listen to it. He was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Cathy was pushing back and I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Cathy here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. <laughs> so I thought... <laughs> but you That's know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie. So I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the, the credits. And I like Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. 
And um, I enjoyed it. So I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. 